Just before we open up our Bible, so today's the last uh, in this series of how to be happy or, the, or what makes you happy. Sorry, not how to be happy, but what makes you happy. Um, and so we're going to talk about happiness in a minute, but there's a few things going on in our church that we just want to bring up, uh, not in an announcement kind of way, but more in like a congregational meeting kind of way. And some of those are listed on here uh, for you to be aware of. Next week is our last week here for the summer months. Uh, they're doing a whole bunch of construction projects here over the summer, and so the whole place gets rather messy and uh, messier than a normal. And, uh, uh, and so we're actually moving to the Boys and Girls Club for the summer on June 16th. So as soon as your kids get out of school, uh, don't come here anymore. But in the fall, we're coming back here, all right? There was uh, like a rumor got back to me that we're, we're getting kicked out of NAMS. We're never coming back. They hate us. The world is ending. And I'm like, no, stop watching Kardashians. Um, <laughs> But uh, we actually, we're filling in the paperwork right now, and, and uh, we actually have a really great relationship with the district and with the school. So um, we're, we'll be back here in the fall, um, and uh, who knows how the construction will go, you know, those kind of things. And so that might change, but we're a mobile church, and we can handle that kind of stuff. I talked to a friend with a building, and he's like, how does your church handle that moving around, you know? And I'm like, well, we drive to a new place, <laughs> you know, like... It's not, uh, we don't worship a particular block in the neighborhood, so, um, the, uh, but, so we'll be at the Boys and Girls Club during the summer. Um, next thing, on, so on June 16th will be our first Sunday there, June 23rd will be our second Sunday there, and we've actually, after church, we're going to have a little pizza party afterwards, and we've rented out the, uh, the Elk building, the second building at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, with the soccer field, and they've got a little gymnasium and like a team area with like some pool tables and air hockey and stuff like that. But here's what I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be World Cup happening by then. And so I'm not from America, and so this isn't a criticism, but you don't generally notice when the men's World Cup is happening, all right, because your team stinks. Um, <laughs> Canada's team has only ever scored one goal in World Cup history. We've been twice lost all of our games, only scored once, uh, and maybe only once, uh, but maybe I'm exaggerating that. But uh, your team, at least, has been there in the past, uh, but your men's team, hmm, all right? Uh, your women's team is phenomenal, all right? And so every year that the Men's World Cup happens, the next summer is Women's World Cup, and America goes bananas, right? And and we're really into this kind of, we're the best in the world, right? And so if we've got a team, no matter what it is, like soccer is a silly sport where people fake injuries and roll around on the ground, right? We don't like it. It ends in a tie and everybody's satisfied. Like, this is not a good sport. But we win it, right? And so on June 23rd, by then, you're going to be like soccer fever. You're going to be like, I need to know more about this, you know? And you'll be wondering about the offside rule, and I don't understand. And, and the woman you actually love because they don't flop as much. It's the men that flop a lot, all right? And so if you watch women's soccer, they don't flop. And if there's one thing that should promote feminism, that's it, right? Like, men playing soccer is an embarrassment to an entire gender, uh, women playing soccer is, is more embarrassment for the men, all right? Uh, but uh, So by June 23rd, you're going to be wearing red, white, and blue every day. You're going to know, like, a couple soccer players' names. You're going to start following them on Instagram and wonder, you know, why, why they keep blowing the whistle. I don't understand what's happening. The referee isn't explaining anything, you know. So June 23rd, we're going to have a World Cup soccer tournament indoor that afternoon, all right? Here's what's great. You can be terrible at soccer, 
and you're good enough to play on your men's national team, so uh, you can... <laughs> you can... I'm like ripping on it. My, team, my country sucks, right? But, but, uh, but you're, uh, we're going to have a little soccer tournament. It's going to be fun, you know, so if you're really, really good at soccer, like, we'll just give you the trophy. There is no trophy. We'll just make you the champion. You can leave the rest of us alone, and we'll have fun. So, um, so that's happening June 23rd. Uh, last thing on our little congregational meeting agenda, in about six or seven weeks, our church is actually sending a group to a village in San Antonio, Belize, called San Antonio in Belize. Belize is a little country right below Mexico uh, that was, uh, and I think still is, kind of connected to England uh, as a British colony. Uh, the queen is on their money. Uh, their, their first language, uh, like officially, is English, and so it's a uh, an easy country to go and do ministry in that way as far as culturally goes. We go all the way over to Guatemala, um, like just like a 20 minutes from Guatemala. So you drive all the way across the country in a school bus uh, and up into the mountains in this little village. This little village called San Antonio had only one school. It was a little Catholic school led by the nuns, and they didn't like the way that things were going. And so a group of churches got together and started, like a group of churches in this little village started a school by themselves in, uh, I think, 1992. And so they actually, uh, it's called United Pentecostal uh, School of San Antonio or something like this. And so they're just like a group of churches that united together to start a school and so now our church is going down there for the third time uh, to partner with these people. And we actually, last year, uh, my wife's father was born in Belize. And so we went down for a family reunion in Belize, which is just the best way to travel, right? Like we did a couple days at like, a, like a, a hotel resort thing, but then we actually went into the city and like lived like with it was It was awesome. And uh, so we actually rented a van and drove over to San Antonio, just our family, and my wife and my son went on the last mission trip, and so they got to see some of the progress from things that they worked on. Uh, they have, like, a principal and a vice principal who work like this is their, like, their school's grown enough where this is their job, and it's certainly not a job in the way it is here, you know, but our team is going back down uh, to continue doing this. When I visited, they brought us up into the office and they have a big poster board with the pictures of people from our church up in their offices. Uh, because people all the time, specifically Westerners in rich countries, like to do single mission trips as touristy kind of things, right? Like I'm going to Belize, then I'm going to Haiti, then I'm going to uh, Dominican, then I'm going to this place, right? And you go to all these places. And we decided as a church we'd rather have, a, that's, I'm not going to try to talk bad or good about that. We wanted to have a long-term relationship and we were the first group to ever go back, right? And you can imagine what it feels like if people come once and never come over again, right? You know what that feels like at your house. Uh, and so if, imagine if people do that to your country, <laughs> like they come once and then they leave and they never come back. And so in going back, our church bought a level of credibility in this community um, that, that no other group has ever had. And now going back a third time, uh, this is, it creates opportunities for us to have meaningful relationships with people, uh, to be able to build into the culture that's happening there, and just, it gives us an opportunity to be used by God to do something that's just out of this world cool. So, the other thing is, we have, I think there's 25, am I saying that wrong? Anybody going? There's 25? Okay. We're sending 25 people. That's ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, if you're not familiar with church mission trip things, Usually, a church our size sends four, 
all right? <laughs> and, and we're like, we sent a mission trip team, right? And we've taken lots of pictures and put them up. We send 10% of our people, <laughs> like, just everybody goes, you know? And it's like, uh, it's actually gonna, we're gonna do serve Sunday when they're away, because like the entire band, like, they're just go, you know? And uh, <laughs> like, so uh, it's gonna be me and a banjo, and <laughs> neither of those things is good. <laughs> so, um, but it is, uh, we send a huge group down there, and it is uh, just an incredible, incredible experience. To do this, they don't have piles of money to be able to, like we do a lot of work there, we do ministry, they run a VBS, they visit a lot of people in the neighborhoods, uh, they bring food to them, to people who, can't, who are like food insecure uh, and can't afford things. Their government systems are not uh, as dialed in as ours, and so they do have like social service programs, but they're, if they're not as dialed in, sometimes people can fall through the cracks or uh, not be taken care of, and so the churches take care of, and so we go down and do those things. But to do all of that, we need funding to be able to um, make the projects happen. And so last time uh, we went, the, we, our band actually, a bunch of people from our band went down there and put on like a revival style thing, like with a, I think it was like a youth ministry thing that was happening. And uh, so we're actually, it was a big tent, but it rains there like crazy. And so the tent was like filling with water and it was just a, a mess. And so they're actually looking at the possibility of building like a permanent structure that they would be able, like a pole barns type deal that they'd be able to put seats in and, and have like these outdoor worship festivals at. So just the coolest stuff. And, uh, but to do that, it costs money. And we want, even if you're not going, we want to give you a chance to be a part of the thing that's happening. I'm sure all of us would love to go, right? Like you'd love to go. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Uh, but if you want to participate, we've got a new table in the lobby that will go with us to the Boys and Girls Club, but it's called Buy a Mile. And if you want to participate, you can do that through the Buy a Mile program, all right? In the Buy a Mile, you go over there, and they'll explain what's happening. They can give you more information about the trip and about Belize. Um, but we want to, uh, if you participate in the... Okay, sorry. Uh, someone wants me to play the banjo, <laughs> and they're texting me right now. That's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but... Sometimes, like, the soundboard texts me stuff, like, you're going on too long, shut up, you know? And so I have to check, and so, okay, uh, now you know if you text me during service, I'm checking. Um, if you want to participate, I want you to stop by the table. If you participate in Buy a Mile, we put on a special, like, dessert dinner type thing, and, and no dinner, just dessert uh, event in August uh, where we split you up and you get teams, uh, different people from the team at your table will be able to share individual stories. Like, we'll do some sharing on a Sunday morning when they come back to kind of tell you the stories, because it's just an incredible thing. Um, but if you want to participate that way, uh, if you, you can stop at the Buy a Mile table, or you can use the iGive station has a Buy a Mile thing on it, and you can talk to them and figure out uh, how that all works and, uh, and be a part of that team. Make sense? If you have more questions, stop by the table. Um, and that's our congregational meeting for the day. All right, the main points are uh, your women's soccer team is awesome. Uh, we're going to the Boys and Girls Club, and you want to be a part of the Belize Mission Strip. Even if you can't go, uh, you can uh, be a part in through buying a mile. So let's talk about what it makes you happy, all right? We've talked about a whole mess of things as far as uh, what makes you happy, how happiness works in our culture, some of the things our culture says versus some of the things that we believe the Bible teaches. And so today I want to kind of end with this um, thought pattern uh, that affects your happiness. I think that um, the truth of the Bible is uh, that you're not enough for yourself uh, to be happy. 
And this is kind of a, a difficult thing, uh, and this is something that I think goes starkly against uh, what our culture today is trying to promote. But y- you, by yourself, uh, will never be enough to create fulfillment and happiness in yourself. And this is um, not that, like, I'm going to use the word millennials, people born between, you know, 85 and 99, or um, it is, or 80 and 95, whatever you want to say. It, it's so easy to rip on millennials right now. It's just like we used to rip on Gen X, and we used to rip on the, well, nobody ever ripped on the boomers because you were the salvation of America or whatever, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you destroyed the financial system, but um, <laughs> made it impossible for millennials to ever own a home. But the <laughs> when I, ripping on millennials, I don't get any joy out of. But there is a, a, a an undercurrent in like millennial social media use where you'll a lot of times talk about like I'm I'm working on me, right? I have a, I have a friend who posted online that they actually, they had gotten married and they actually, a, a little bit into their marriage, quit their job, didn't have kids, they were doing zero things because they were going to take a year to work on them, which maybe they were that screwed up, right? Like maybe, maybe it takes a year of no working, like nine to five, I get up and nine to five, I'm working on me, right? Like if I'm, I, you can tell I'm not working on me from nine to five, <laughs> but but there is, like, there is this um, a, a thought pattern that this friend of mine had bought into uh, that, they, that by working on themselves, there would be some kind of happiness or fulfillment that would arrive. And I think this kind of uh, creation uh, of uh, what we would actually, the Bible would actually call selfishness, a self-focusedness, a self-focusedness, focusedness, would, that is a new word, would, it actually creates an illusion of fulfillment, an illusion of happiness, uh, because there's an ignorance to everything that is outside of yourself. But if you try to get more of yourself, you actually just end up with more of yourself. And what the scripture actually teaches is we want more of Jesus. And so just working on yourself as a philosophy, I'm not saying working on yourself is bad, but what the, what the devil does is, the devil doesn't come, like when he showed up in the Garden of Eden, he doesn't come down and say, hey, you know what we should do, Eve? We should murder Adam, right? Like you should be in charge. Because Eve would go, I, I'm thinking that's a bad idea. Instead, the devil takes something that is good and adjusts it a small amount so it's difficult to tell that it's bad. It says, did God really say it like this? Or, like, did God really mean that? Like, when God said, honor your mother and father in the Ten Commandments, was he really referring to my mother and my father? Like, did he know them? Or was he talking about all the other ones, (laughs) right? Like, and so there's this small adjustment. And these small adjustments in our culture makes us think that there are things that can make us happy. But there's no thing or no person, frankly, who can make you happy. But the truth is your happiness happens in relationships. Like you are designed to be in relationship with other people, which is where the philosophy of I'm working on myself falls apart. Because if you isolate yourself in order to be an island by yourself, you actually deconstruct some of the design 
that God built into you as part of your creation. God made you in a particular way. So working on yourself, while it's not bad, like you should work on yourself, just like my friend Pastor Mr. Rogers just talked about, if you're working on, like working on yourself is key to be able to love your neighbor, but it's key to something else. So if we say, well, I'm doing this, and this is the end, it falls apart because we didn't take it to the second step. It happens to me frequently. People will come and say, what does the Bible say I should do about this? What does the Bible say I should do about that? And I'll say, well, here's the four things that the Bible says, and you should take these four steps. And I'll see people take two of the steps and ignore the other two, the two that were a little more difficult. And you actually end up in a worse place rather than a, a good place, right? Like if you're, I'm going to start exercising, so I need to eat more food so that I can get more gains. I've learned that's a word. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do the eating part, and I'll work on the exercise part later, right? <laughs> but I've nailed down this part of my program. <laughs> you're making things worse, not better, because you're not following through with the whole system or the whole plan. Um, so... Uh, they, they do studies on this stuff, and I want to, this is just, so that you don't think it's just my opinion, there's, uh, I think it's the University of Chicago did studies on this for people when they're talking about what's actual fulfillment in their life, and when they're talking about, uh, like, your work. People who have jobs, though they say, this job is fulfilling to me, their common traits are that they care, pardon me, they care for others, they're teaching others, they're protecting others, or they're able to pursue creativity. So they're uh, caring for others, teaching others, protecting others, and pursuing creativity are the four big things that a lot of people reply, if my job is fulfilling, I do these things. And so you can imagine if you're sitting here and you're like, my job is not fulfilling. It might be because you don't actually get to care for anyone. You don't teach anyone anything. You don't protect anyone. And you're doing zero creativity, right? Think about like your first job. If you're like me, you did a first job where you came home smelling like french fries, right? And your job was to take a bag, open it, put it in a fryer, put it down, take it out, right? There's no creativity, there's no teaching, there's no caring, there's no protect, like, and you genuinely did not care, right? <laughs> like after like one shift, you were like, I no longer care. Uh, like these came out burnt, don't care, all right? Drive through, you know? <laughs> but, but there is... Uh, that I, I lasted three months, genuinely three months. Uh, but uh, so that you just, we recognize, and there are more complicated places in the world where, or jobs in the world where you're like, I don't feel fulfilled. There might be that these things in general you're struggling with. And then when they talk about just general happiness in people's life, happiness is like this circle where you get, happiness is connected to a person's health, which is connected to a person's volunteering. Those three things in people that report having a fulfilled life or happiness seems to be connected to a person's health, which seems to be connected to volunteering, which seems to be connected to happiness. And you can imagine, because volunteering is a thing that you do if you have the ability to have so much time in your life because you have so much provision in your life that you're able to do things for free, do work for free, and that work you do because it's fulfilling, because you're getting to care for others or teach others or pursue creativity or protect others. All of those things become linked. But all of those things involve relationships. 
Like if volunteering means doing things for the benefit of other people. And so if you're able to do things for the benefit of other people, that's something that actually makes you happy. Where this, what happens when we have a self-focusedness or a selfishness is we want to make time for me. We want to fill up me. And, and I'm not saying those are bad things. It's a bad things when you attack on the word only. Like I'm sacrificing this and this and this in order to fill me, fill me, fill me. Whereas when the Bible describes it, we're like a, a, a jar, a, a pitcher that's designed to pour out. And if you're just continuing to pour in, it's just spilling and you're not meeting the real purpose of your design if your design by God is to pour out into others. This is why yesterday I got to do um, Josh and Rachel Bottomiller's wedding. Uh, if you know them, they're a part of our church. And uh, a, when you see a, a marriage working most beautifully, each person is pouring into the other person. And really, when most marital dysfunction happens, when one person is pouring and the other person isn't pouring, and maybe that happens for a season or maybe that happens for a reason, right? Like when you're going through a stressful time and you're like, I'm only pouring out anger on everyone around me, uh, then, then maybe you're like, we're going to get through this season. Please spill over there, right? So like, uh, but there is, uh, when we're functioning, and, and in a marriage, I think it's the most obvious, but then I think it's true for almost all of your relationships. You pour into them, they pour into you. You've been in a relationship where you pour into others and they don't pour into you. And maybe that's okay for a season or maybe that's okay in, because you're mentoring them or something like that, but if there's not a mutuality to it, it's no longer a relationship. You've also probably been in relationships where they're pouring into you and you aren't pouring back into them for one reason or another or at one stage or another of your life. We don't tend to notice those ones <laughs> because there's no disappointment in, on our part. We're like, I just love everything I get out of this relationship. I give nothing. I just love it, right? We don't tend to notice those quite as quickly. Maybe you do. Maybe you've reached that more mature space. If you have a, a Bible, nobody actually carries paper books anymore, but if you have a, a smartphone and you have the Bible app, we set up event and you can check it out, but we'll actually put these scriptures up here. But afterwards, if you're thinking, you can click on events in your Bible app and uh, the Grove has an event in there. Uh, there used to be other churches in town, and, and uh, now I think they've quit, so we're the only one left. This is Galatians chapter 5, written by a guy named Paul, who was a leader in the very early church, and he uses words that we're going to blush about a little bit. All right. The wrong things, the sinful stuff, uh, sorry, the wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Uh, being sexually unfaithful. Actually, let me back up. Uh, this is from the NCV version, which actually kind of softens some of the things that we would blush about. If you want to blush, switch your version to like King James, all right? So uh, that gives you, this is a little bit more generous with the translation from the original language. Nobody actually cares about this. So for the two of us who love that second, that was great. The wrong things the sinful self does are clear. Uh, being sexually unfaithful, that's wrong. Not being pure, that's wrong. Taking part in sexual sins. Worshiping gods, and that infers like small g fake gods. Doing witchcraft, hating, making trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish, making people angry with each other. 
causing divisions among people, feeling envy, being country drunk, having wild and wasteful parties, and doing other things like these. I warn you now, as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit God's kingdom. We can stay here for a second. These are the things that the Bible says when Paul's writing this out in a letter to a church in Galatia, so it's called Galatians. This is chapter 5, so he's a few pages into this letter. He's like, the wrong things that the sinful self does are obvious. These are all, like, obvious. And there's something in us, just generally, even like a Christian person, even like many people that don't even have a recognition of the existence of any, any divine God, would say, yeah, a lot of these things like jealousy, yeah, that's just not good. You know, like hating people, yeah, I just don't think that's, that's just not something that we're all down with, you know, or making people angry with each other, or causing divisions among people. You, you recognize this. There's something, you don't need to be a Christian to recognize like crazy internet trolls are not something that we're all into, right? We're just not into that. We're not into rallies that get people all riled up and create division. They don't actually solve any problems, right? Like we don't, uh, we, there's something in us where we're like, eh, I'm not really into that. There's some of them that might be surprising because our culture doesn't always recognize those things. Like doing witchcraft, that's something super bad. We live in the Pacific Northwest and it's a viable religion. Uh, getting country drunk. There might be people who are like, oh, I didn't realize that. But the Bible actually says, yeah, that's something we're not going to do. So the, the reason, though, behind that, a lot of times you look at this and say, here's the list. As long as I don't do any of those things, I'm good. Right? And you're like, Adam, you're like Eve in the garden, and the devil shows up and says, let's murder Adam. And you're like, nope, I know that's one we don't do. But there's some on here that are a little bit more difficult, like jealousy. Am I allowed to be jealous? Am I allowed to make a little bit of trouble? You know, like, I'm not making trouble. I'm just helping them see how stupid they are. <laughs> right? Like, I'm actually being helpful. <laughs> so that some of them, they become a little bit more difficult, mostly based on our personality and our level of maturity. But those who do these things as a practice will not inherit God's kingdom. Those who do these things, and when it talks about that, it doesn't mean like you've done them once. Like if you've ever been drunk in your life, you're not disqualified from the saving love of Jesus, right? But if you choose a pattern in your life of living this way, you're choosing to live against the design that God made you for. And it isn't because these are fun and these aren't fun. It's because God made you in a particular way to function and to operate in the world around you relationally in a particular way. It continues. There's a good list right after this. But the Spirit produces, and this is, so there's the bad list, here's the good list to make it really simplistic. The Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, patience, uh, sorry, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law that says these things are wrong. And we would say that even for a person that doesn't believe in anything divine. There's nothing that says, don't be loving, don't be good, don't, be, uh, don't operate with self-control, don't be gentle. We would say everybody is down with that because there's just something in us 
from our design that says this is how we ought to live. But we believe as Christians that this is, like the way it describes it here, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, which indwells people who live uh, for Jesus, who live their life sacrificed completely to Jesus, put their full faith and trust in Jesus. The Spirit of God indwells you and produces this fruit in you. And so you know, the fruit is like singular. If you're going through this and be like, well, I got love, I got joy, I got peace. No, no patience, uh, no kindness, and I'm no, no goodness. Like, but I've got, so four out of seven, that's not bad, or four out of nine, that's not bad, right? Like I'm a four out of nine Christian, that gets me into the room, into heaven. Uh, but, the, but this actually is, it's actually like the singular fruit the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the description of a person who's living for Jesus. And so we say, okay, that's what I want. I want the good, not the bad. But how do I do that? How do I just have all of these traits all of a sudden? Here's what the Scripture teaches us. This is Jesus answering that question in Mark chapter 12. The second command is this. Jesus is speaking. And so you know, there's a reason he says the second command because there's a first command right before this, but I cut that out. Not important. Um, just joking. Uh, the first commandment is love God. With everything you are, love God. The second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no commands more important than these. And then they say, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story and the point of the story is the same as our video. The neighbor is the person that's around you at the moment you are where you are. There is no one who is not your neighbor. There is no one who's disqualified from being your neighbor. Your neighbor are the people, your neighbors are the people that God brings into your life and gives you the opportunity to love them in the way that you love yourself. And this isn't important because, like Jesus doesn't say this is important because this will make you acceptable to God. That's salvation. Jesus his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, pays the way for your salvation. Your salvation is fully dependent on putting your full faith and trust in Jesus, not on your performance as far as this, the list goes. So it's not about being acceptable. It's not about working for God. It's not like, oh, I need to do these things because God's depending on me. Like as if God is the best player on the team, but you have to be pretty good because God needs, to, God needs your help. God does not need your help. God isn't the best player on the team. He's the designer and the creator and the perfecter of the whole game. So God isn't looking at us like, oh, I need the Christians to do these things so that uh, my thing can get done. He can just do what he wants. He just invites us into participation because we're designed to participate. This is what I mean. You're actually designed to love yourself which for some of us might be the difficult part of this equation, but you're actually designed to love yourself. For some of us, that's, that's a challenge. Some of us have an, an inner critic that gives us reasons 24-7 why we shouldn't love ourselves because we're not living up to the standard that we've created for ourselves outside of the Scripture. But loving ourselves, when that becomes just the the stop, like if it says, uh, the second commandment is this, love yourself. <laughs> that falls apart because there's a first part to the commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so loving yourself is a, 
prerequisite to loving your neighbor because if you hate yourself and you're, like Pastor Mr. Rogers said, if you're mean to yourself, it becomes difficult to love your neighbor. And if we have a kind of faith in God or a relationship with Jesus that makes us think like we need to be more acceptable to Jesus, then what we're saying is we are inherently unacceptable. When the scripture teaches you are pre-accepted if you're a follower of Jesus. In fact, you're in a way pre-accepted if you're not a follower of Jesus. The Bible said, says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait till there were enough good people and then die for us. Jesus actually provides salvation for you in advance. And you're really, your relationship with God is receiving. You're the benefactor in that relationship because it's pre-set up for you. And so you are loved and loving ourselves in a way just kind of means agreeing with God. Agreeing with God. Because, and this might be shocking, when God made you, he made you exactly the way he wanted you to be. And I'm thinking, like you, God made me 90% of the way, maybe 85% of the way that I should have been. But God's rather busy and he's making so many humans that there were a couple things that he probably just left out, right? Like banjo playing skills. <laughs> but there is, like, when God made you, like your imperfections, your uh, mistakes, the things that you struggle with, God's like, yep, I want those. I want those. Your scars. God wants those. Because when you're able to receive God's love and love yourself the way that God loves you, that actually creates the space for you to actually love your neighbors. And when you love your neighbors, the second list, can we pop back to the second list? The second list actually, you notice, that's completely relational. You love, you have joy, you have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control in relationship to other people. If you're alone, you don't need self-control. If you're alone, you don't need goodness. If you're alone, love isn't actually functioning, it's just selfishness. And so God tells us, love your God with all your heart. And the second commandment is just kind of like it. Love yourself the way that God loves you so that you can function the way God designed you and love your neighbors. What makes you happy? It's really, really simple. Loving all the people around you. And imagine for yourself the things that made you unhappy this week. There's probably someone who you made it easy to not love in that situation. And this doesn't, it's not simple. Like in the, in the most flaky way, when someone cuts you off in traffic, it's easy. I don't love that person anymore, right? When someone is rude to you, when someone undercuts you, when someone, when there's, I don't love them. But the people who I notice are happy somehow love the other people and aren't angry at all the other people. <laughs> They somehow assume the best in people that I'm assuming the worst in. They somehow are operating with patience and goodness and gentleness when I'm like, it would be much more efficient to operate with rage and anger. 
God actually, I'm ending with this, God actually loves you. God actually made you to be happy. And God actually wants you to be happy. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. Our God, we are thankful for your grace to us, meaning the things that you give us that we don't deserve and we haven't earned. And our happiness in relationship to other people fits into that category. We don't deserve good lives. We, don't, we haven't earned or done things that are uh, deserving necessarily of just being in a place and in a time that is so outrageously awesome. But you've put us here. You've put us in a church that's phenomenal. You've put us in a, in a place in, the, in this world that is super amazing to live in. And you've given us friends and neighbors to love. And even, Lord, as we look at the way we're more connected to more and more people all over the world, we're connected here, we're connected through the internet to people on the other side of the world, through ease of travel, we're connected to people in places like Belize. I pray that you would give us hearts that are transformed by the Spirit of God so that we're able to love our neighbors. Not so that we'll fulfill a requirement, not so that we'll be impressive to you, not so that we'll get gold stars in heaven, but because that's what will make us happy. We pray together that you would make us happy in you and free us from this love of ourselves only and allow us to accept your love in such a way that we reflect it to the world around us. By your grace, amen.